This is Power for Living, the Bible teaching ministry of Christ the King Church in Wakefield, Massachusetts. I'm your host, Feliciano Segundo, and our teacher is Father Michael Carl. So get all your Bibles and let's get started. Today, for our teaching time, we're going to go through the Isaiah passage. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Now, this passage speaks of a reality in our world, does it not? Because just look at the status of what's going on in the world around us. China's threatening Taiwan and Okinawa. Russia continues its war in Ukraine. And as North Koreans continue to send those missiles southward to splash them down in the Sea of Japan as a way to try to intimidate the South to come to their terms. But you see, about those times, and about these times, preacher and theologian Stan Mast wrote, this historical situation makes Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, almost mandatory preaching in a hopelessly hostile and irritable world, we need to hear again, again and again and again, God's promise of eventual peace and justice. In Advent, of course, we look forward to the coming of the Prince of Peace, and we all know he has already come, bringing peace of mind and heart to millions of people, having broken down that dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. But there is still much peacemaking to do, is there not, before the Lord returns to settle those disputes between nations and do so with justice and mercy. In a war-weary world filled with cynicism and despair, we have the opportunity this Sunday to hold up this magnificent promise of world peace. Now, verse 1, Isaiah was a prophet, and it says he was the son of Amoz, and he prophesied during the reign of King Uzziah and the ones following. Like in Isaiah chapter 6, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. So Isaiah talks reality here. Isaiah is wanting to reflect on the reality that the world is generally not at peace with itself and is looking for the remedy to that from the Lord. Now, verse 2, It shall come to pass in the latter days. That could be translated as in the end of days. And Isaiah is getting a picture of the end of time. That time when everything will come to an end and the Lord will come back and establish His kingdom. Now it says that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains. Why that is, is because he's talking here about worshiping the Lord. And he's saying that worship of the Lord is the highest of our activities. It's the greatest thing to which we can aspire. Worship is our highest obligation and responsibility, if you will, considering who we are and how awesome our God is. Amen? He deserves our worship. And so Isaiah is saying, that's your most important thing. 
Look to worshiping the Lord and keep your eyes on him. And eventually it says, and all nations shall flow to it. What does that mean? It means that eventually all of the people of the world, as Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, that at some point every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. And at the same time, all of the other world's religions will be revealed as the empty shirt that they are because nothing can compare to the greatness of our God. And he deserves our worship again. And there will be a point where all of those other religions will be swept away and we will all bow our knees to the Lord Jesus. Some of us will do so willingly and others will do so not so willingly. Now, verse 3, it says, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. He's inviting us to come into his presence. He's inviting us to come and be with him. He's inviting us to be on that high mountain because this is figuratively a reference to the Mount of Olives in Zion. So he's inviting us all to come there and he's inviting us all to be with him in his presence and also to be wowed by his presence. You remember the verse in Exodus where Moses said, show me your glory, Lord. And the Lord said, well, I'll put you in the cleft of a rock and I'll pass by. And then after I passed you by, then you can open your eyes because no one can look on my face and live. Well, in that day, when this happens, we will be able to look on the face of the Lord and our heads won't explode. That's a good thing, right? Now, the reason I use that phrase is because before Christ came and died on the cross and made that access to everyone equally, if they come to faith in him, people would have had literally been blown away or had their heads explode because God's glory was so magnificent. Our eyes and our flesh couldn't take it all in. Can you imagine a God that is that glorious? that mighty, that awesome, and that beautiful, that it would literally fry our minds if we were to see him in our current state. So in that time, when he returns, there will be the time that we can actually look on his face, look him in the eye, and see that affectionate glow that he has for each one of us. Because Jesus does have that love for us that surpasses anything we can understand. And I remember a praise song from several years ago that said, if the nails were not in his wrists and his feet, his love would have held him to the cross. Isn't that a beautiful thought? His love for us was so strong that he was willing to die for us. And he was so willing that he would have held his arms on that cross anyway, even if they had not nailed his wrists and his feet to that cross. Now we go to verse 4. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples and they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nation shall not lift up sword against nation, and neither shall they learn war anymore. Folks, that is a promise that everyone on earth 
wants to believe. Because it's something that we all seek. A time when there is no war. I mean, songs have been written about this. I mean, probably the most famous one is John Lennon's Imagine, you know, where he's talking about how we have this great brotherhood of man and we all live together in peace and harmony. The only problem with that song is he says, imagine that there's no heaven. Brother, I don't want to imagine a world where there's no heaven. But anyway, people have written songs about that, thinking about how, how wonderful it would be to see the end of war. Now, Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, and neither shall they learn war anymore. David Guzik wrote in his commentary, It is important to see that this is not the peace of surrender. This is the peace of enforced righteousness. There would be no more war and no more need for swords and spears, so it made sense to make them into plowshares and pruning hooks. But there will be no more war because there will be a new ruler on earth. A little more or less, if you colloquially put it, there's a new, there will be a new sheriff in town. Jesus Christ, Psalm 2, verse 9, tells us what the Messiah will do to the disobedient in that day. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, we long for the day when there is no more need for a military budget, when that money can go not for weapons anymore, but to schools and parks and hospitals and things like that. But we will only be safe doing that when the Messiah reigns among us. Because if he's not the one reigning, guess who's going to be in charge? Either fallible men or the other guy. So that will not happen until Jesus is actually in charge. Men yearn for peace, but they will not acknowledge the hopelessness of their own efforts to achieve it. It is only when the word of the Lord goes forth from Jerusalem, when he himself is reigning over the nations, that lasting peace will actually come. Now, we go to verse 5. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. The Lord challenges them in this verse to walk in his ways. He challenges them to come to him and surrender their other interests and let him take over and let him be in charge, to let him take care of them. And he's calling upon us to adjust our lives to his ways and his will. And he wants us to follow and get into the word of the Lord. That's what it means where it says, come let us walk in the light of the Lord to live in the world and to live in the Lord. Now he's saying, you can walk with me in fellowship. Now you don't have to wait till some future time. You can walk and have fellowship with me right at this very minute. And Isaiah was preaching that to the people about 700 years before Jesus was born unto the earth. He's saying you can walk with the Lord now because remember that great passage in Hebrews 11 Honor with the Lord, forgiveness with the Lord was always by faith. Remember that the point of the law was to tell people that they couldn't live up to the law on their own. And so you're left with walking with the Lord in faith. And that's Isaiah's message here. Walk with the Lord in faith. That's what he's screaming to the people. Because believe me, the prophets at that time, the people were still the way they are now. 
and they had to shout to get their message out, otherwise nobody would have listened to them. Can you imagine that? People having to shout to get their message out because no one will listen to them otherwise? Now, Stan Mast again says, verse 5, Here is a call to live by faith. We cannot see the peace of God ruling among the nations or even in our church. We are tempted to complain or despair, but God calls us to live by His light, not by this present darkness. It is easy to become cynical or depressed, is it not? It's easy to become belligerent or beaten down and feel like you're worn down by the world. God calls us to faith in this soaring promise of peace and become peacemakers wherever and however we can. No, we cannot bring the peace of God on our own strength, but we can demonstrate it in our own lives as we walk in the light of the Lord. From a mountaintop, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called, what? Children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. From Matthew 5, 9. So in Advent, we have the time to focus on the awesomeness of Jesus' first coming and how awesome it will be with His second coming. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's edition of Power for Living. If you happen to miss any of our other programs, be sure to go to our podcast page at ChristTheKingNorthShore.Podbean.com. And you can also visit our website at www.ctknorthshore.org. If this program has been a blessing, feel free to let us know. Write us at Power for Living, care of Christ the King Church, 4 Railroad Avenue, Suite 309 in Wakefield, Massachusetts, 01880. Or you can also send us an email at ChristTheKingNorthShore at gmail.com. You can be a part of this gospel ministry by becoming a patron of Power for Living. You can find out how by clicking the Become a Patron button at the top of our podcast page. That's it for this week, and until next time, remember that Jesus is your power for living.